Hello everyone, welcome to the Steve Hilton Show. So here you are, we are gonna show you today exactly why we love Susan Shelley. We love Susan Shelley, who you know very well from this show, because she does the work. She actually gets to the bottom of what is really going on in California, why it's happening, and every single time when you learn the details, thanks to Susan's work, it is even worse than you think. And we have another brilliant example of that. Susan is joining us today to explain the story behind this this thing you may have heard about. It's got quite a lot of attention, which is the California Utilities um, asking uh, for the ability to charge customers by income instead of just by their usage of electricity. That's what you've heard. You've heard the story and it's bad enough when you hear it and we've all been discussing it. But actually... Susan wrote an amazing column laying out the specifics of this. And if you haven't read it, you should have, because you should be following Susan and reading everything she writes. It's brilliant. But just in case you haven't, here she is to explain. So, Susan, um, there are two parts to this, and and I want to spend time on both. So there's the actual details of the charge by income scheme and, and and, and, and the sort of structure of that. And then there's the mechanism through which this new policy has emerged, um, which is also totally unbelievable. But we always say that about California. It's all too believable. Let's start with that. Let's because that's the sort of chronology, as it were. Go back to the beginning of this policy. Well, this is the energy trailer bill legislation that was rushed through the legislature and flew to the governor's desk in record time last June. And this is What's happening here is they were completely reordering the utilities and a bunch of different things about energy policy in California in a Mm -hmm. budget trailer bill, which they should not be doing Mm -hmm. because a budget trailer bill originates as blank legislation. It's introduced literally blank. It's got a number and it's got one sentence that says the intent of the legislature is to pass a bill related to the budget. They did this. This was a trailer bill from it was a a blank piece of legislation from 2021. Mm-hmm. 2021. 2021. Let's just stop there. Okay. This started in 2021. The legislature, both chambers, pass a blank bill. Well, this one, the um, the assembly passed, and the assembly passed, and then and it has a it number. Has a number. So it's, it's got it's, it's got an AB 205. It's completely blank. So they they right. go through all their 30 days of waiting period to make sure there's transparency and people can read it, and they did their hearing in the budget committee to make sure that it was uh, understood. It's blank. They did an analysis. It's blank. They bring it to the floor. They vote on it. It's blank. They pass it. They send it to the Senate. It sits in a drawer for a year and a half. Mm -hmm. They do the budget, which is all done behind closed doors between the governor and the legislative leaders because all the budget process in California is theater until they get to that point. It's all fake until they get behind closed doors. Then the governor and the legislative leaders work out the details of everything that's disputed, and then all the backroom deals go on pieces of blank legislation. And they call it an amendment to the bill. So they're evading all these processes that are supposed to make sure there's transparency and thoughtful consideration. It's an amendment, as if it's correcting the spelling of something. They take an 18-word bill, they make it 21,600 words, it amends four or five different sections of California government codes, including the Public Utilities Code. They pass it in four days, from the 26th to the 30th of June. 
The governor signed last it last year. year. This is now 2022. 2022. The governor signs it on June right. 30th. It's the energy trailer bill. Nobody knows what's in it. It's 21,000 words, and they passed it at lightning speed. One of the things that's in it is this complete change to the way electricity bills are structured for people who are customers of the investor-owned utilities. So that's PG&E, San Diego Gas and Electric, Southern California Edison. Doesn't Which is most people in California. It's most it? of the people in California. In Los Angeles, we're under the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power, so that's done mm -hmm. differently. That's a city council resolution that sets all the rates for that, which is not great either. But this is the investor-owned utilities, and here's what they're doing. They're trying to find a way to lower electricity rates so that people are not sensitive to how much electricity they're using because that doesn't change your bills so much. So you won't hesitate to buy an electric car. You won't be angry if they mandate that you have to throw out your gas stove and buy an electric stove or an electric heating system. So they basically, let's just stop there mm -hmm. again and break it down. So we know, and we've talked about this before, they're on a mission to electrify everything. Van right. gas cars, so you have electric car, you have to charge that at home. Right. Ban gas stoves, you have an electric stove that clearly uses electricity. Right. They're also, we've talked about banning uh, gas uh, gas for heating and for hot water, Correct. et cetera. So all of that, your boiler, whatever, all gone electric. Right. So naturally, if you're using a lot, not just a bit more, but a lot more electricity when you do all that, especially with the car, then you can expect your bill to rise, your electricity bill to rise. Exactly. And so this bill is about the politicians thinking, wait a second, we don't want people to get annoyed with us for this drive to electrify everything. When they suddenly see a massive spike in their electricity bills, we need to do something about it. That's the, that's the sort of political reason for exactly this. Right. Exactly okay. right. Now the, right. So now let's get to the detail of the policy. Okay. So the detail of the policy that. is all these years when there's been an expense, it's been recouped and recovered in the rates. So whether it was wildfire damage or it was decommissioning mm -hmm. San Onofre nuclear plant or it was legal expenses or it was customer support or it was energy efficiency or it was climate investments or it was having to build infrastructure for charging uh, electric cars all over the state, whatever it was, it was recovered mm -hmm. in the rates. Well, now they're taking mm -hmm. out a bunch of these charges and they're going to put them in the fixed charge, which is what you pay mm -hmm. just to be connected to the grid. AB 205, which passed in four days, took off the cap on the fixed charge. So now it can be anything. And the, the law requires income-based tiers, three income-based tiers for the fixed charge. So now the fixed charge is going to have all these other charges in it. It's going to be much, much higher than it is currently. And everyone has to pay it regardless of how much electricity they use or don't use. So we have to find out, the details are very fuzzy, but we have to find out how this affects customers who have gone solar, customers who've gone with the community choice aggregators where they've walked away from the investor-owned utilities and they're buying their power from another entity, but it's still brought to them. So the fix, because the fixed charge is irrespective of usage. Exactly. And does ever, but, but so it only applies to the customers of the investor-owned utilities. Correct. But if you even use a little bit, because you're, let's say, mainly solar, you're potentially vulnerable to the fixed charge. Is that what that was the, behind your exactly. question just then? You're going, yeah. to, you're going to be hit with a fixed charge for being connected to the grid, and it's going to be based... But you need to be connected to the grid even if you're solar because you, so you, you sell it back in, Correct. right? That's the... That's, the yes. that's my understanding. So everybody is going to pay this higher fixed mm. charge, and it's going to be based on income. 
And that the reason for that is their thinking, the thinking is, from groups like the National Resources Defense Council, which supported this policy, the thinking is that low-income people will be much more likely to go buy an electric car if they're paying a lower electricity bill with this lower mm -hmm. fixed charge and then the lower rates. But how much lower is it really going to be? And how much is an electric car? The governor is well, running ads saying, oh, well, you can get a subsidy of up to $24,500 to buy an electric car. That's a lot of subsidy. It's an enormous... I mean, the, the federal subsidy was 7500 wasn't it? I think it? so. So this is just economically Wait, the irrational. I hadn't heard that number before. The California subsidy is twenty four. I'm not sure how I'm not sure how that number is arrived at. If that's a combination of subsidies or that's just it's for amazing. an electric that's car. I mean, the, as I say, the federal. Anyway, can I just go back to the to the to the again? I mean, you're so British. See, I didn't know. All I heard was the headline, and even when I read the articles, I didn't realize all this until I read your piece. So, the fixer. Let's look at the three tiers. Mm -hmm. So this, so just to be clear, this is in the legislation right. because the the reason this became a news story was that the utilities asked the public utilities commission to do this is that the but really they were forced to do it by the legislature exactly. is that just um, is that That's correct? correct so they're just now and, they, and and so the this process that they're going through why, why do they have to do this to go through the utilities regulator well all their rates have to be approved by the cpuc and so they have to propose what this is going to be and what what dollar number it's going to be for their customers in each of these three tiers. And it's different mm -hmm. for each of the utilities. They have to mm -hmm. submit that proposal to the California Public Utilities Commission. The CPUC has to approve it. And as I understand it, this is separate from a rate case. They're, they also, in May, they have to do their rate case where they ask for rate increases going through the next three or four years or whatever. They so this is, yeah, this, this is for this new structure to everyone's exactly. bills. Okay. And then the tiers and the money. Let's now talk about the tiers do they are they have they specified the income levels for these three tiers i believe they did i think they're all different for each of the three but i think the highest tier is if you have income of one hundred and eighty thousand dollars or more you that. pay the highest fee but obviously once they put this structure in place they can change the numbers whenever they ask for approval to change okay, the numbers so it's 180, 000, let's 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 um i'll try to find that out actually uh, while we're talking about all of this. But the um, question a lot of people have been asking me is like, how do they know? Like, is this now connected to the IRS somehow? How, how is this, inf what's this about? How do they make it, how does the utility I, know? I don't think it's clear. I, I don't think it's clear. Uh, I read one story that said it's going to be an entity probably in the state government telling the utilities who's in and who's out. I d I don't know, but people's income changes from year to year. Uh, one person yeah, I mean, wrote to me, especially if it's 180, that's like very much in 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 a sort of in that area where you could be being, uh, moving around that a lot. Right. It, it's it's just very it it's very unknown at this stage how that's going to work. But certainly there are privacy concerns. Sometimes you have a utility bill that's in one family member's name. Is it the yep. whole household? Is it just the person whose name it's in? It can you. Can you evade it that way? It's just completely unclear. It's never been tried. It's any of the right. So this is this never. This is new, mm -hmm. right? This is no new. one's ever. Done. And for utility to charge by income, okay. So that's the that, that's the right. And but it's the law. So they utilities couldn't say actually we don't want to do this or ask the utility commission to exempt them because it's the it's in the legislation. Correct. It's in the legislation. It's, but the details are not in the legislation. So the details are to be worked out by the regulators. 
which is always the case in California. The legislature passes something completely idiotic and unworkable, and they say, oh, well, the California Air Resources Board will administer this, or, oh, the California Public Utilities Commission will administer this. And then they go through their rulemaking process, and everybody says, well, we don't have any choice because whatever the legislation was is, is demanding this, and we have to find a way to do it. And it's irrational, and it's crazy. Well, let's look now. Let's talk about all the reasons why. <laughs> so, first of all, it's totally like th- this is what I said this on my Fox show. Um, if you're listening uh, during the week I, on the Sunday that's just gone, um, if you, it's so, if you look at all the crazy policies that that we have to endure at the federal level from the Biden administration here in California for years from the Democrats. It seems to me that every time you dig into the energy policy, out of all the different policies, bad as they are, extreme as they are, destructive as they are, none of them are as totally incoherent, contradictory, and chaotically destructive as the energy policy. Every single time you look at it, you know, they they clamp down on California energy, but import it from around the world, which is much more polluting, but that's okay because it's foreign, even though it's dirtier. And and, and, and the tankers that cross the oceans are the most polluting form of transportation on earth. Well, that's just fine because at least we're not doing it here. You know, it's just on and on. There's so many contradictions. Here you have the contradiction, which is that they keep telling us and, and especially in Los Angeles, it's still a complete mainstay of life there. You know, don't use en- electricity between four and nine because the grid can't cope. So save energy. So it's all like as if you're living in the 1970s. Um, or, you know, because they've made the grid unreliable because they've, they've, they've attacked natural gas and nuclear. They won't invest in those things, which means that they, and they're good for the baseload power um, to keep the grid going. Um, so they're, they're more and more reliant on intermittent solar and wind. Uh, but then that means that the grid can't deliver at certain key points. So they're saying, save electricity, don't, you know, use less. But now with this change, as you pointed out, the actual impact of this in terms of a kind of basic market incentive is that they're, if they're charging you less, uh, more for, for have, as, a, as a fixed charge, regardless of how much you use, but less for the actual usage, that's an incentive to use more. Right. Well, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to remove the disincentive to buy an electric car. Because they know people are very stressed out about the cost of electricity. In fact, during the pandemic, the state government actually stepped in and paid people's utility debt because so many people had fallen behind. And that was one of the pandemic relief measures. But it's not just the pandemic. The bills have been going up and people can't pay it. And particularly the hot summer months, people are running air conditioning and they're suffering if they have to turn that off. This is, this is a reduction in the standard of living in California to raise energy costs as high as they are. And this is an attempt by the state government to try and help people at the lower income level get lower bills so that they will be incentivized to use more electricity. But you know what? If they use more electricity, their bill will go up because even though the rates are are being lowered, if you use more of it, even at the lower rate, you're going to pay more. And this is very frustrating. It really is. As you said, they're encouraging people to use less electricity at 4 o'clock, less electricity during heat waves. We have all these issues about changing everything over with these mandates to so-called renewable energy, which excludes certain forms of renewable energy. Oh, I know. Like nuclear, like large hydro plants. It's just... Like hydro. Right. I mean, I did. I showed this as well. It's, it's insane. It's, it's, it's so mad. By the way, I just looked up so that we've got a complete answer for our viewers and listeners what these tiers are. So here we are. This is... Um, uh, 
these, these are the categories. Households with annual incomes from 28000 to 69000 uh, would pay $20 a month in Southern California. Edison, 34 in in San Diego, $30 a month in PG&E. So it's like 28000 to 69000 The next tier is 69000 to 180000 There you're paying $51 a month in, this, in, in Edison and PG&E, $73 a month in San Diego. Those with over 180 would pay $85 a month in Edison, 128 a month in S in San Diego, 92 in PG&E. So those are all the sort of charges, but the tiers are 28,000 to 69,000, 69,000 to 180, over 180. And, and so like, how, how do they know that? I mean, it's just, as you say, there are so many different ways in which you could measure a, a, a household's income. I mean, it's just in terms of the people who live there or the principal earner, if there's a two earner house. I mean, what do you, and, it's just. And what is the cost of, of verifying this and applying this to the rates for the utilities? Exactly. And is that in the fixed charge, all the administrative cost? Is that going to be added to the fixed charge? I know. It is just infuriating. It, it, it's, it just is an absolute recipe for bureaucracy. Now, and this is what they do. This reflects a real mindset of the, of the kind of the, 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 the bureaucratic, technocratic, um, you know, big government mindset, which is we can design in some policy meeting somewhere in Sacramento, all these sort of complicated schemes. And we, you, you know, we put it on the board. Well, we have to have income, income levels so that it's fair and this and that. And then you design these schemes without any kind of understanding of the complexity you're introducing and, and, that, and, and how that will add to the cost and the hassle and the nightmare for people. Um, I mean, it's just, it's really astonishing. Can I go back to the, the, the blank bills thing though? Because, because that, that and, and, and the whole sort of emergence of this story, because what's interesting about this is that this has just become a story because the utilities have asked, you know, they're, they're gonna ask, they're talking about the implementation. But it was in June, you're saying it was in, it was, the bill was passed in June, mm -hmm. but I don't remember any coverage of this, this aspect of it at all. Was it kind of hidden away? Absolutely, absolutely. This is the budget trailer bill process. And people don't know this, but the way that the schools are funded in California was redone in 2013 in a budget trailer bill, similar, one week, no hearings. Uh, and the, the entire way that schools are funded was thrown out and replaced with this local control funding formula, which was completely different. And there was no debate about it. It was all behind closed doors and it was done in a budget trailer bill, just as this yeah. was. I mean, it, it is a, a bit just, first of all, it is just interesting that these because the bills are public it was published the amended one with the 20 so it, we we could is it just that no one read it or why why is it only a story now well the typical process is that bills are introduced on a calendar and there's 30 days once they're introduced there's 30 days before a committee can act on it and that gives everybody time to read it all the people who have an interest in that kind of topic have lobbyists or specialists who can read it the public can read it there's 30 days, and then the committees can act on it. And before the committee acts on it, there's a report, an analysis, and who's supporting it and who's opposed to it. And you can read the summary in more or less plain English. That's part of the process. And then it, it has to have three readings on the assembly floor. That When it gets to its third reading, it can now be voted on. They do all of this when it's blank. When it's blank. And then that qual that that's the legal process. It's all done. With the blank bill, now it's just an amendment. So you see, what they're doing is they're evading their own checks and no, balances. No, I get that, but like when it's actually finally published, mm -hmm. the amendment is published. Right. 
So what's what's the process there? I mean, it was public and it was signed by the governor, yes. right? Well, it was public for 72 hours, along with a right. lot of other trailer bills that were all posted at the same time. And on right. the 73rd hour, they voted on it. And by the way, that clock ticks over the weekend. So if they publish the bill online on a Friday afternoon, they can vote on it yeah. 72 hours later. Okay. And, and that's what happened in June last year. I don't know if it was over a weekend, but yes, it was It yeah. was 72 hours. And that's only because there was an initiative for transparency that required a 72-hour waiting yeah. period. They used to be able to do it instantly. Okay, so the so the but but then it goes to the governor's desk for sign. I remember when he had all the bills, and we were talking about how many thousands of bills were there, and he had to sign all these bills. So basically, this the reason that we didn't hear about it. Okay, I think it's very clear why we didn't hear about it at the beginning because it wasn't there; it was blank. Mm -hmm. Then it was rushed through this process, the seventy-two hours, as as you've said, mm -hmm. with the amendment. Right. And then it and then it is public, and then the governor signs it. So then it's the law. Right. And so it was available for people to read but like there's so much coming out it's like this avalanche of stuff it's thousands of bills well it was available in that, in between that, the 28th of june and the 30th of june <laughs> yeah, but, uh, it's 45 know, pages long i know but then after that once it's passed uh, it's on the book it's literally on the book correct. somewhere right it's, you can read it it's there. the law but no one noticed this right. that's right no one know that's in it's in interesting that like a major change mm -hmm. And no one even noticed. Well, there was a lot of talk about many of the other provisions in the bill. I believe this also had the funding for keeping Diablo Canyon open and, oh, and the, gas, the gas plants, keeping them open. There was a big fight. Some of the environmentalists were angry about yeah. that. Um, and they, they rushed all of that through. So from the left, from the right, from the center, from the consumer point of view, from the taxpayer point of view, there were a lot of changes that were made to energy in policy in California bill. with no substantive hearings at all. Of course. In the energy trailer, but right. now, I mean, it's just, it's sort of mind-blowing. And, I, I'm, you know, I put this out on Twitter last night, your your article, and then, and then you know, people, I just saw the, like, how can this be legal? How is this possible, that this blank bill thing? Uh, so I've got just a couple of questions on that, and then we'll have to leave it there for today. There's lots to talk to you about. Maybe we'll, we'll um, try and squeeze in another conversation with you this week, Susan. But um, the on this blank bill thing, the, and the trailer, the budget trailer bill, that's the sort of official title. First of all, um, wh how long has this been going on? When, how, is this a sort of long-standing feature of the legislature? Well, it's been going on for a while. I, I think it dates back to when there was a, an initiative to change the budget process. There was a time when the legislature would stall passing a budget and people wouldn't get paid. People were paid with vouchers decades ago. And there was this, I forget the exact year, but there was, uh, I think it was Proposition 25, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. And it was, uh, it changed the process. So the legislature must pass a budget by June 15th. Come hell or mm -hmm. high water, they must pass a budget by June 15th or they don't get paid. So what do they do? They pass a placeholder budget, which is not the real budget, and then they get paid. Right. And then they go into backroom negotiations so for this the real is, thing. Okay, so, that, that's, so that's what this is. Right. It's, a, it's a way around the 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 the, the, the yes. um, effort to try and get them to do things in an orderly manner. This is their way of circumventing exactly. That. And so it, they pass something, and then and it's a placeholder, and then they have and then they pass these trailer bills. At how many? Like roughly, is it one for each sort of air, subject area? There are dozens of them. Yes, dozens. Right. There's this was energy. Mm -hmm. There's probably one for education or whatever. Like you said, the, the 2013 they did it for schools. Right. So every year you get these trailer bills. Right. And and they're not the supposed bills. to be used for policy. They're supposed to be used for just implementing certain parts of the financial aspects of the budget. 
It's, it has mm. a legitimate purpose, but they're being it's being abused. And they're using so it. Can you just explain that? What, what would be the legitimate purpose? Well, if there was a budget that had uh, certain numbers in it and they needed to explain the specifics of where that money was going to go, some detail uh, of implementing some portion of the spending, that, that I believe that was the original purpose of it. It was, mm-hmm. it was extra detail to implement what was in the budget. But it's not supposed to be used for a complete reordering of sectors of the economy or the whole oh, education it's system. It's... So then my, my last question, is anyone trying to do something about this? Is this something that uh, reformers or, you know, I mean, it sounds like it arose in response to another ballot initiative that was trying to clean up the process. And now it's prompted its own well, um, mess. Ultimately, the solution is you have to have two-party government in any situation. You have to have checks and balances you have to have the factions set against each other, as James Madison said, so that they hold each other in check. You have to have checks and balances in your government. So the problem is we have one party government in California. Mm. How do we fix that? I think one of the things that needs to be fixed is we need voter ID in this state so we have confidence in our elections. And then once we know that the elections are clean, we can have a discussion about who's running and what they stand for. And we can, we can have these debates and perhaps we would get more balance in the legislature. It does not feel well, to me but, like we have um, a good situation <laughs> in California. No, you could say that again. Well, look, that's a longer question, longer, longer, longer discussion, which is how we get back. I mean, you know, I've got lots of thoughts on that. We talk about that often, about how we actually start to bring back that political balance. I think it, I think there's a demand for it. I think people can see the state is not well run, and there's a majority for change. So I I totally agree. Um, that that's that's the end point and what's interesting is that you can imagine just because the origin of this thing right let's just say someone heard this show uh and said that's crazy what what susan's just been explaining we got to deal with this budget trailer bill thing it's just not democratic it's not the way it should be so they introduce a ballot initiative and the voters approve it to i don't know get rid of the or, or really tighten up on the budget trailer bill pr- process so that you can't do substantive change um They'll just find some other way around it, won't they? I mean, that's basically what they do. Exactly. And that has been the history, that no matter what reform was put in place, the legislature finds a way to evade it. And because they have supermajority control of one party, you that is a self-perpetuating political machine. Yes. Because they can yes. reward their friends, punish their enemies, force, force things through without any consequence, and then... Many of these things are complicated and technical, and the full impact of them is not felt by the consumer for several years. And then everybody's gone. They've all made their clean getaway to their next office. Exactly. It's a total mess. I mean, it really, it's just, like I said, the more you learn about it, the worse it looks and is. Um, So, I mean, there's lots of, like I said, let's try and squeeze in another conversation because we've had, um, I mean, we're speaking on Monday, the 24th of April. I don't know when people will be listening to this, but just today, we have a candidate for governor in 2026 announced. That's the current lieutenant governor, uh, not exactly the most uh, high profile person, uh, Eleni Kunalakis. So you'll see, we'll see, well, I think that I'd be curious to know what, what, uh, what there is to know about her. She's a candidate to replace Gavin Newsom, who can't run again. And actually, we're just talking about the initiative thing. They're trying to mess around with the initiative process itself. The Democrats are trying to do that. So that is a story that we should look into. Definitely. Um, So uh, we'll try and find some time for that, Susan, because it's always we learn so much from every conversation with you. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Steve. Always a pleasure. 
Well, there you have it. Yet another installment in the craziness that is California. I don't think we're going to run out for the for the foreseeable future. It was fantastic to have um, Susan with us to help us understand it all. And now there's a conversation I want you to listen to, which I really, really found very illuminating. I won't say that I agreed with everything, um, but it was so instructive. I learned a lot. And there are some things in this conversation that really surprised me. Um, and I think you'll really enjoy it. Um, very smart guy, Daniel Turner, runs an organization called Power the Future. And this is a great conversation about energy, fossil fuels, coal, all of that, and the role it plays in our economy and how it fits into all these political conversations we're having about energy and the environment and climate and all the rest of it. Uh, here's Daniel. Daniel, I just want to start by playing something from uh, your testimony just recently to the House Ways and Means Committee, um, which people may have seen different clips. I've seen you got a lot of attention for what you said because you spoke so clearly and with such amazing, you know, the, the facts that you bring to this, I think it's just so powerful. Um, let's just listen and, and then we'll talk about it on the other side. I have, I have stood in small towns in West Virginia that used to be thriving, that had communities with, with little leagues and, and schools that were, that were well-funded, that are all closed because we have sent their jobs overseas. There are billionaires who fund green groups in this country that invest in foreign coal, and they will tell you that they will be damned if a man in West Virginia works on a coal mine, but a nine-year-old girl in Malaysia or Indonesia or China, they have absolutely no problem with. And so when I call the green movement communist in its nature, maybe that is being too gentle of a term. What it is doing to rural America, oil jobs, coal jobs, fracking jobs, no one is asking them how they are paying for gas, how they are paying for 30% prices in food, 15% prices in consumer goods. They are absolutely and categorically denied. And, and I respect the gentleman at the end of this table who's saying the jobs that will come, that will come. But the fact of the matter is the futurable is very different than the actual. Right now, rural American and rural American energy workers are struggling tremendously and they are being ignored. So what's so powerful about that um, is, is the way you combined it with the, with the hypocrisy point, which is that the people who are pushing this themselves um, don't, don't really um, take seriously their own rhetoric and their own ideology in terms of how they behave. That all they, they, they want to do, and this has been such a feature of the climate extremism, is I mean, we used to call it virtue signaling. It's not virtuous, so I don't like that term anymore. It's ideology signaling. It's saying, yeah, 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 we climate, climate, climate. But actually, they're investing in coal. I mean, the whole thing is so gross. But um, uh, um, unpack. I mean, we've got much more time now um, than than uh, than you know. You, when you, I've, I've seen you on uh, Fox and elsewhere this week. So uh, I'd love to just hear your thoughts on all of this, and let's just uh, take it from there. Yeah, and thank you. And it's great to talk about it in a longer form because they aren't easy conversations. And even that hearing, all the members, they get up there, they have scripted remarks that a staffer wrote for them. And I used to be a Hill staffer. I know how it works. And they read from the paper. They don't even pick their eyes up. And then they walk out of the room. There isn't a back and forth. There isn't a conversation. And it's a hearing. And, and I, what I'm trying to do is be heard because I'm representing a very important constituency which are rural energy workers. And the point I kept making over and over again that none of the members would answer, and it's not a very complicated question, but it does deserve to be answered. The point I kept making over and over is this. World coal consumption continues to increase year upon year. The world is using more and more coal, but America is producing less of it because we have green groups that are saying we have to shut down coal. 
So why is it okay that we open up coal mines in Indonesia and China and Malaysia? Why can't we open up coal mines in America if we're okay with the fact that we're opening up coal mines worldwide? Uh, and, you know, I would even use your home country. Why is England not producing more coal? They have some of the biggest coal mines in Europe, but you can't produce coal there either. So why is the West sacrificing the jobs, the tax revenue, and what I care most about, the dignity of these, these rural coal communities to produce a job and engage in an employment that they love? Why are we telling them they can't, but we are okay with slave labor, child labor, and if the environment is your concern, the horrible environmental practices of Southeast Asia, of these countries where we are buying our coal from. And it's, it's a true contradiction. It's a true hypocrisy. And no one would answer that question. They just go back to their scripted okay. remarks and they say, we need a green agenda. So let's, let's unpack. There's so much there. I'd love to sort of dig, dig into with, pardon the pun, dig into the coal argument. But, um, <laughs> the, um, the, but let's just, with, on coal, I think they would say, well... Uh, you're right. I mean, if they can, if they sort of, you know, uh, deign to get into the facts, yeah, fair enough. Okay, we, but but uh, we have to lead by example, um. and so that's what we're doing here by phasing out coal, a dirty fuel, as they would say, dirty fuel. We're phasing it out, um, and the only way we're going to persuade the rest of the world to do it is not by lecturing them and and sort of yelling at them, but by showing them through our example that it's possible to transition away from coal. And, and I understand that as a point of view, but you're not leading by example. You're forcing other people to lead by example. And that's the point of my organization, Power the Future. We go to these former coal towns that we've left in poverty, and, and what do we say? We say, uh, drive for Uber, start an OnlyFans page, right? Open a marijuana store. These are the tried of the, the jobs that we're trying to tell them because we've left their communities in poverty. And so... And again, the, and the congressman making these decisions, the, the, the nastiest exchanges I had, the one that you just played, was from a congressman who's, who's in northern Jersey, a New York suburb. He doesn't have any coal miners. So he, it's so easy for us to tell other people how to live, right? And how to, well, we'll sacrifice your job for the good of this cause. But, but will any of them sacrifice their jobs? Will they lead by example? And like you said at the beginning of this, the hypocrisy. They won't even lead by example, giving up their private jet, right? John Kerry yeah. will tell you he still needs it. So they don't even lead by example in their personal life. They just want to punish communities that they don't represent. So, again, uh, lots to get into. On the jobs front, right, the argument that is made the whole time is the green jobs are better and nicer. And who wants to be all the day down a coal mine? That's a horrible job. The nice new green job will come and it's involving technology and it's the future and it's nicer and you get paid more and you have to spend all day down a coal mine inhaling uh -huh. terrible fumes, et cetera, et cetera. That's the argument. How do, how's uh -huh. that looking in the real world? Again, the green jobs, where are they coming from and when are they coming? Barack Obama plan promises green jobs. Um, they haven't materialized. And I continue to go to these coal communities and other rural communities. Where are their jobs as we outsource more? You know, even, even Ford announced the plant closing in, I believe it was Michigan, um, and they're moving into Mexico. Why? Because the tax incentives now don't want this vehicle. They want EVs. And so are we going to tell them, well, okay, make the switch to EVs? Well, Ford didn't do that. They just closed down the plant and the thousands of people, well, now they're the governor's problem, right? Now there's somebody, now there's social security's problem, their welfare's problem. Um, and you know, what's funny is, you know, remember an old Twitter, uh, before Elon bought it, um, when a bunch of, of um, I think it was, 
it wasn't BuzzFeed. I forget what 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 publication closed, and people began to tweet at them. Learn to code. Learn, learn to code. code. Yeah, yeah. They banned it as hate speech, but learn to code became an expression because that's what they would tell rural Americans and coal miners. Learn well, to code. That, right. Also, even if you you know just go beyond you know take it engage with the argument right, and if we do that in good in good faith. So the argument is that the green green energy jobs actually is what they talk about the whole time. Yeah. The new green energy. So they talk about. Wind, solar, those they're obsessed with wind and solar. They don't care about nuclear. I mean, my, I mean, I, there's so much I want to talk to you about. And for example, here in California, when I look at the, I mean, there's, there's lots of madness here. I mean, in a, in a way, it's led from here. For example, yeah. in the actual state's kind of classification of energy sources, amazingly, um, hydroelectric power is, is not classified as renewable, amazingly, no. because they're so obsessed with wind and solar. Anyway, I mean, the wind and solar, we talk about that. The, the, I mean, the wind turbines are made in Germany, right? Siemens, mm -hmm. etc. Isn't that right? And the the solar panels are made in China. Uh, what what are the what? I mean, I, just to be fair to them, are there green energy jobs being created somewhere in America, just not in those uh, deindustrialized communities? Yeah, that's a great point. Um, you know, they are made predominantly overseas. The president says he wants to bring them to America, and he wants. Uh, uh, the supply chain to start in America. And I agree with that sentiment. I want the supply chain to start in America too. But but then you dig down into it and you say, well, the rare earth elements, the metals, the minerals, the raw materials are still not sourced in America. Now they could be. California could source one of them. California has so many mining opportunities. Yeah. Of course, all the mines are forbidden to open. Federal land, state land, absolutely forbidden to open. But So we have the raw materials in America to source these here. But right now, we're not allowing ourselves to extract them. So so what are the jobs the president wants to onshore, on right? Are there, there are assembly jobs, right? We're going to produce all these parts in foreign countries, mm -hmm. ship them here, and, and we just widget them together and call that a, a, a job. And I don't think, that, again, I've heard the green job stuff for 20 years now, mm -hmm. and, and quite literally, it is also the bird in the hand scenario, right? You're telling someone, I'm going to fire you now. But don't worry, there'll be a green job coming down the pipeline. That's hard when you have a mortgage and kids. Yeah, and and I think the geographical distribution of these, you know, the, the jobs is is a very interesting question, which is like, well, may, e even if they materialize, and there's a, you know, I think it's it's true to say if you look at some of the legislation they've passed, you know, they are, and actually the EU is getting very cross with them about it because they say this is the now the US uh, is doing the kind of industrial policy as it's called subsidies and and tariffs combination of those things that the eu has done for years to protect yeah. its own industry. now the us is doing it they don't like it so it's true there are incentives to come and manufacture here i think there's a lot of battery plants being built and so on but are they actually creating jobs in the places where where they're really needed in terms of the jobs that have been lost as we make this transition no, they're not. And they're incapable of doing it because the government is incapable of, 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 of understanding market forces. And that was the, the source of this argument I had from the clip you played. Uh, the congressman got very angry that I called the Green Movement communist in nature and was wagging mm -hmm. his finger, yelling at me that he's not communist, that they're not communist. And, and quite frankly, when you have a centrally planned economy mm -hmm. and the Green Movement is economics, remember AOC's uh, um, chief of staff was actually caught on a hot mic early on when the Green New Deal was passed. And he said, you think this is a, an environment thing? It's really, Chakorbati, it's really more of yes. a, 
how to restructure the economy thing. Yes. So when you have a green movement that is economic in its nature, that is top-down, centralized, that refuses to listen to market signals or allow for market responses, um, even when it, it brings suffering to its people, that is a communist movement. And you can call it whatever you want. And you can say, well, it has good intentions. The intention is to stop climate change. I'm sure if you ask Chairman now he had good intentions. It was a great leap forward. But in reality, it is bringing a lot of devastation to to people and it's and it's abject failure. It's an abject failure. So what about that? Let's jump back to coal. coal um, and then I will m- want to move on to other energy uh, sources. Um, one thing I want to ask about coal. So uh, f- first right. of all, do we import coal as a substitute? Do we or is that not? Because one of the things that's happening Certainly, I know the facts, the, the data in terms of California is that with uh, our oil and gas that has been clamped down on, we have huge reserves uh-huh. here in California, particularly in Kern County. Um, uh-huh. Again, the kind of community where the you know people could really do with the with the work. That's all being you know squashed. But the but it's not that we're not using it anymore. It's just that they're importing it. And that yep. there's an amazing data point on this, which is that I think it, 2000, like 20 years or so ago, I think it is actually 2000, the proportion of California's oil and gas that was imported was 12%. Today, it's 50%. So it's not uh-huh. like we've stopped using it. We're just importing it, which the act of doing that, of course, contributes more to climate change. Um, I mean, the, you know, the, the, the tankers that ship all this stuff across the world are the, the most polluting form of transportation on Earth. Um, and so they're using these these incredibly polluting uh, tankers to ship in oil and gas that we have here, but they don't want to use. I mean, it's so incoherent. Damn. Is that same dynamic? So I know that's the situation with California. Is that same dynamic playing out with coal or is it at least we're we really are using less? You know, we're not mining it, but we're not using it either. Or are we importing um, coal? We're, we are using a little bit less. We're still not importing it yet. We still have tremendous coal reserves. Uh, I mean, between Alaska, uh, Wyoming, and West Virginia, uh, we have enough coal uh, coal reserves to last us around 300 years. So we're not importing it yet, but we will eventually, absolutely, as we make it harder to bring to the surface um, because of environmental regulations, pressure from from green groups. Um, uh, 10 years and 15 years ago, um, we were this world's second largest coal producer. Um, We're now fifth. And like I said, our coal consumption worldwide has increased. Yeah. So all we are doing, like California, on a, on a tragic level, we're not doing anything on a global community. We're just taking a smaller portion of the pie. And if you say, well, that smaller portion of the pie is somehow good and noble, I would argue, well, then then you're not personally suffering. And it's very easy to tell oil and gas and energy workers and coal miners, don't worry, this is for your own good, right? We're going to take care of you. And, and and there's that disdain that I think our politicians have for these workers. And that's that's what my organization tries to fight for. Um, yeah, the, what, uh, no, I get that. that. that what, we're going to save you. What about the now let's talk about the um, the, the, the climate impact. So uh, they I think that there's a there's a narrative you hear a lot. And I've made this point, which is that um, you, you hear it. I guess you could say it's a sort of mid midway point, which is between the arguments, which is, well, yeah, you know, we need to uh, you, actually we do, you know, we accept that we need to do and make an energy transition. I'd love to know your thoughts on that later. I just want to specifically focus on coal versus other fossil fuels, which is, yeah, we need to get there. And actually natural gas is a really good transitional fuel because it's lower emission than coal. 
and oil, and actually the, the, the type of natural gas we particularly have here in America is, is cleaner than most. So natural sure. gas is great fuel as part of this energy transition. And coal is really left out of that argument. So uh-huh. my question is what is, I mean, the, and, the, and the kind of reputation of coal is dirty, and people talk about, you know, natural gas being lower emission. And in fact, the fracking boom in natural gas over the last few years responsible for US, the USA lowering our emissions compared to other countries and so on, because uh-huh. natural gas is lower emission. So what do you say to that in terms of, well, even people who might agree that the lurch away from fossil fuels is too sudden, say, yeah, but coal is a bit much. We should focus on natural gas, not coal. Yeah, I think that all makes sense if we're only talking about the production of electricity. And coal is used for an awful lot more than the production of electricity. And and coal prices now are, are about three times of what they were when President Obama took office. So we're not burning necessarily less of it we're just doing it at a much more expensive cost. Um, so yes, natural gas to replace it with coal because it's quote unquote greener. I'll have that conversation all day. But how do you make solar panels? Well, the crystalline quartzite that we that we mine has to be heated to 2000 degrees. And when we do that with coal, uh, we just passed this, I don't even remember the number, infrastructure bill. Wait, and wait, wait, hang on a second. Point. I got to stop you there. So solar panels are made with coal? Absolutely. Yeah. To make the to make those the actual they call glass, but it's not. It's melted. No, no, it's, everywhere. Is that how they're made? Is there any exception everywhere. to that? And so now we just so do you, it in China because So just to be that's an amazing fact. Which I mean I'd I'd heard that funnily enough, it's so interesting when you that's why it's great to have someone you know who really understands the facts. I had heard and have repeated um that solar panels are made with fossil fuels. Yes, I, they use I, I don't know. It's coal. Fuels. I mean, the, the the great Satan of fossil fuels is coal. Yeah. I didn't, solar panels. They are made use more coal. fossil fuels to create solar panels than the solar panel pretends to offset by being implemented. So that's, that's why this whole thing is is a gigantic lie. So you can't lie. make solar panels without coal. No, there is no coal pa- powered. There is no solar panel factory that runs on solar panel. They all run on coal. That's why China keeps building coal fi- uh, plants. Because they're powering electric grids and they're powering kilns to produce the wind and solar Wait, and the so, EVs and the batteries that they send to us. So, the, so just to be really clear, so it's not that they're taking in energy to the solar. I'm just really being dumb, asking dumb questions here. So, you, like, if people can imagine a solar panel factory, like a, there's yes. a building, um, and it's not just that the power lines that are going in are generally taking coal-fired energy generated in some coal-fired power stations somewhere else is that inside the solar panel solar panel factory they are burning coal because that's yes. the only thing that can get hot enough is that correct absolutely and and that's just for the what again the last really courts that's amazing i thought it was all about the right so that's but let's talk about the aluminum that they're made out of how do you make aluminum you you, you need coal the iron and the rebar that they're fastened to you need coal this infrastructure bill that Biden passed last year, the $17 trillion, whatever the number was, no one even cares. How do you make cement? Coal. So Biden keeps saying roads and bridges. He had a steel worker, a woman from the steel workers union, and she was there. I'm proud to uh, work on this new bridge. The whole bridge is made from coal. You mean, so, so again, is it the heating up? Coal? When you say made from coal, do you mean coal the is... The steel, the cement, all of it requires coal to be made. Because it... To, to be heat as, as the heating mechanism. As the heat source, absolutely. Heat source, the yeah. heat to, to, to make the rebar that all the cement is poured and then the cement 
the, in the actual making of cement between the aggregate and the silica and all that, it is all heated with coal. And then they put and it in the back of the cement truck that turns nonstop yes. until they drive really fast to get to the destination. All coal. Coal this everywhere. This is amazing. Sorry, if 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 everyone, if everyone is no, listening and you all, it's fascinating. No, no, though, isn't it? I'm really it's sorry. I'm, I'm I'm very embarrassed if this is well known uh, to everyone. <laughs> everyone listening and watching. Not, though. It's not, and that's why when our idiot politicians are out there wagging their fingers saying, you support the dirty coal industry, I say so do you, Congressman. You're just doing it in a reverse way and calling yourself green. But we're doing the exact same thing, only yours is very expensive and outsourced to China. It's, it's tr it, it, this is actually, you know, absolutely mind-blowing to me. I did not know this. Um, so why, what's the science or the engineering behind that? The, 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 is, the, is it the... The heat that's generated from burning yeah. coal is just much higher than any other heat source. The, the heat, the, the 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 temperature, and also the sustainability. And when you are doing things like pouring, uh, you know, molten cement, molten, excuse me, steel to to make forms, you don't just need a high temperature. You need a consistently high temperature, and right. that's that's the beauty of coal. I, again, and we're not getting rid of that anytime soon. So, so is anyone working on that? I mean, just in terms of, there's so much talk about. Um, and, you know, sure. I'm, I'm in the middle of Silicon Valley and, every, you know, all the kind of investment community and the venture capital, whatever, but obsessed with climate, more, you know, environmental stuff is a huge preoccupation. Is there research going on into ways of making solar panels, concrete, reap all these things without coal? Yeah. I saw a European study and I want to say it was... Um, I want to say it was the Netherlands, but I apologize and I can find it for you later, um, that said that they had found a technology to make steel um, without having to burn uh, hydrocarbons. They found a way to create enough heat, um, but they said commercial viability was still about a decade out. Now, that's fascinating. And technology is always going to advance and maybe one day the whole world will run without fossil fuels. But we are not there yet. And in the interim of trying to replace them, all we've done is make life expensive and we've made China and Russia very, very rich. Yeah. So let's go back to, to some of the things we were saying earlier. So what now, now, now having understood that, um, what, what are the, what's the data again on the, on the use of coal in, in the American economy? Um, I think about 50% of our electricity still comes from coal. And that's just electricity production. We haven't even talked about. But are we using less coal? You said I think earlier that we're mining less coal. Are we using less coal? It was about the same. No, we're not using less. We're mining less, um, and it just costs a lot more. L rules of supply and demand. We've closed half the but coal in terms mines. Of the amount, resident. like if your if your concern is the is the environmental impact, the, the yeah. amount of coal that is being burnt. Higher or lower than what? What's the trend line of that? Um, it's it's probably lower because we have re retrofitted some coal plants to become natural gas plants. So I we're see. probably using less. So yeah. the, but we're using less in the electricity generation. But presumably, if we're expanding infrastructure and building more, then uh -huh. we're using more. I mean, or is it not linear in terms of that? that no, you're absolutely right. And that's one of the, 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 the frustrations I have with, with the green movement is that they pretend that fossil fuels are only used for electricity production. Really but they're used for so much more. And no one talks about that other side of the equation. Okay, another thing I want to ask you about with with this um, with with coal, what is I've heard a term. I think this goes back to my days back in the UK government and working on energy issues there, that was thrown around there. Which you know, and and the and the, the climate 
people sort of you know snort in derision when you when you use this term. But I've heard the term clean coal. That there's uh-huh. a sort of I don't and I I'm afraid I can't remember. Is it the type of coal or the way it's burned that is cleaner? I mean, there's different ways of using coal to produce lower emissions. What's what's the story there? Yeah, you know, think of it as the way a catalytic converter on your car sort of, quote-unquote, cleans the emissions before they come out of your tailpipe. There are amazing technologies of, 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 of capture that they put in coal-producing facilities so that what does burn is remarkably cleaner. And those technologies will also continue to improve over time. So, yeah, I don't buy the notion that, that coal is dirty. I also don't buy the notion that wind and solar are clean. I think those are arbitrary terms that people have used and if you tell me that that burning dirty coal, quote unquote, in China to make a solar panel is green, I'm going to say you're just bought into a gigantic lie. I mean, it's it's fascinating. So so there is, and and the the cleaner coal thing, does that uh-huh. apply to the electricity generation part of it only all because it. that facility can I, be yep. cleaned, or is it also in the manufacturing side? And, and all of it, all of it, uh, manufacturing anywhere that coal can be burned, it can be burned in a clean way. Um, is it as clean as nothing? No, but I also don't live in utopia, right? We have to we have to look at trade offs. You know, there's that great that great quote from Thomas Sowell: "There are no solutions; there are just trade offs." What we're experiencing now are not solutions to the climate crisis. Mm-hmm. The climate crisis. We're experiencing trade offs. The trade offs being higher cost of goods and services, war in Ukraine, uh, a growing uh, power from China, uh, brownouts and blackouts. These are the trade-offs. Now, if the American people say these are worth it for the climate crisis, then I think they should make that decision. But they, I don't think they're told there are trade-offs. Well, they're told I mean, these are solutions. What's incoherent about it is that on, often when you dig into these things, I said that again, dig in, uh, on, on the, the, the actual, it doesn't make sense on its face. Like I said earlier with the, you know, you're, 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 you're crushing the California oil and gas industry, but you're importing more of it, which is worse for the climate. Um, and all, anyway, I want to just finish on coal and we'll move on. Um, People say, well, they don't want to listen to Daniel. He's, you know, he's a shill for the coal industry. He's paid sure. by the coal industry. He's a lobbyist. Uh, for what is your relationship coal. to the coal industry? Uh, I have no official relationship with the industry at all. I run a C4 that is funded by men and women and hopefully viewers of this show who like our mission to stand up to the radical green movement. Um, I don't shill for any corporation, any industry. Sometimes I butt heads with them because I care about what happens to America um, and and the American America's interests overall, and they don't always jibe sometimes with corporate interests, but that's fine. We've put out statements before, especially um, when when oil was was really struggling during the um, during the, the 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 height of COVID. Um, we put out statements about about stopping oil imports that the industry was apoplectic about. It's bad for our industry. I don't care if it's bad for the industry. It's good for America, mm-hmm. right? And all I care about is, is America, its sovereignty, and its jobs in rural communities. Okay, so here's what I I want to go really big picture now, um, please, and ask you to react to this. So this is what I say often. I'm not these exact words, but this is the the kind of my encapsulation of where I am on, on all this, which is yeah, we care about um, the climate. We believe uh-huh. that climate change is real. Um, uh-huh. We believe it's important to have an energy transition, but that needs to be done in a responsible way, and the priority should be to have um, affordable, reliable energy that is as green as possible, rather than green energy at any cost. So, what's what do you what do you think of that? 
Uh, yeah, that's 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 nice. I don't agree with all of it. Um, I, I do consider myself an environmentalist. I'm in my farm here in rural Virginia. Uh, I, I think I, I have a better connection with the environment than a lot of Americans because I actually own the land uh, and and drink from well water, et cetera, mm-hmm. and have and have livestock. Um, climate change absolutely is real. Whether or not we're causing it, I have no idea. But you know what? I honestly don't even care. And here's why. Climate change is always measured by usually around the last 170 years, 1850, right? Victorian age, beginning of the Industrial Revolution. And they say since 1850, sea levels have gone up six or seven inches. I agree. Temperatures have gone up two degrees. I agree. What else has happened in that period? We have eradicated major diseases. Our infant mortality rate has dropped. Our lifespan has increased. We have fed the world, right? We have produced plastics and 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 rubber and materials we've gone to the moon we've given automobiles so if you ask all of humanity in the last 170 years i mean people who used to die in their 30s from 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 diseases that we now cure in infancy if you ask humanity in the last 170 years would you trade off 7 inches of sea and 2 degrees of temperature with this everyone would choose this and that is the trade-off. All of that is because of fossil fuels, the food we grow, the abundance. In our country, and, and I'm a patriot, without a doubt, so this does not mean an unpatriotic comment, but it's blunt. One of the biggest problems in our country is that our poor people are obese. If that is not a sign of, of opulence and luxury that would make Henry VIII blush, why fossil fuels Food is cheap. Life is good. Air conditioning is, is sustaining people. We're living into our hundreds now. And all of that is because of fossil fuels. And I don't. I will never degrade an industry that has given so much life and prosperity and dignity, right? Dignity. The slave trade now is highest than it's been in history because we are forcing people to mine cobalt, lithium, copper, nickel, gold, predominantly in sub-Saharan Africa and Southeast Asia. Why? For a green agenda. We never had that with fossil fuels, right? We never had under the last fossil fuel president price gouging. The oil companies are greedy. They're sh- How come we never heard those expressions? Why was oil not $120 when Trump was president when we were producing 13 and a half, 14 million barrels a day? And they say, well, you're the big greedy oil company and you're making record profits. Funny, the oil guy was president. We didn't have any of those issues. So I will always celebrate fossil fuels because of the dignity and the prosperity they give mankind. And if that means two more degrees temperature and seven more inches of the ocean, I'm sorry, I'm all in favor of it. So are you with Bjorn Lomborg really on the on the idea that actually, yeah, the, 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 the climate is changing. We're going to see effects of that in terms of sea level rise and flood, etc. But it's far more productive um, and a better use of resources to think about mitigating those effects and Absolutely. trying to sort of, you know, m- maybe do some things at the margin rather than the, rather than sort of manage the world's temperatures. That is that your position? A hundred percent. And 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 even proof that there is no true belief that climate change is real or that we have immediate danger is the financial institutions. When the banks start charging a premium on waterfront property because they know that within 15 years they will be underwater, when your mortgage has to reflect that, then I'll say, huh, Bank of America, right? Chase, suddenly they're, they're, they realize this is a bad investment because of climate change. But no one seems to be worried about that. I mean, you see those, those 30... 30, 90-story buildings they're building on Miami's coast, they're an inch and a half off the water. 
right? So when, when the banks, when the financial institutions begin to lend money based on climate risk, then I'll start to say, huh, there may be some truth. Now, they are doing it reverse because of the whole ESG movement, right? When you have the Federal Reserve saying, if you lend to fossil fuels, we'll punish you. If you lend to this, well, so, so, but they're being forced by government in those decisions. It's not a free market. And, and therefore, I can't believe that there's any truth to the, to the hysteria that we're all going to die. I so, can't believe it. So, so what, what about the transition? I mean, do you like the idea of a slow, uh, well-managed transition or no, you no. don't. You want to just keep using fossil fuels for as long as they're there. Well, because the, because not only is the technology incapable of sustaining the life that I love, but there are some really other some other serious concerns. For example, land. Back of the envelope calculations of how much land New York would need to have a true quote unquote renewable grid, wind and solar. Back of the envelope calculations are around two million acres. So again, if you're like, well, how big is 2 million acres? Manhattan Island is 35,000 acres. So you need 2 million acres of wind and solar just for New York City. Where's that 2 million acres coming from? Are we going to just bulldoze the entire state of Connecticut uh, to, 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 to power New York? So where does the land come from? And you say, well, that's, that's a problem, right? Transmissions lines, because electricity does over distance, it, it diffuses like all things yep. do. So, so the further away you go, the more electricity you lose over distance, so the more you have to build. So maybe those 2 million acres are actually 2.3 million acres because we're talking about central Pennsylvania. Well, also, so you, look at, so and you look at things problems. like the, the wind turbines. I mean, you know, the, the number that you need. I mean, I was just looking into this for California with the numbers Huge. that they're putting out in terms of what you're generating. You're going to, you know, every single... You know, right the entire length of California's 600 mile coast, you can need them like 20 deep in order to yeah. get do do what they say they're going to do, which of course they can't possibly and, and deploy where that. Where has it that worked? Level. Yeah, no, I, I get where, that. Where but what has about, it worked? I wanted to ask you about nuclear because and there's a lot of support, I, I an increasing amount of support I hear for for nuclear as the kind of sure. zero emission alternative. Now, the, the, the deep greens, as you might call them, the, the kind of climate extremists, you know, they hate nuclear. They really are obsessed with wind and solar. But you've got people like Michael Schellenberger has made a strong case for nuclear uh -huh. over the years. And many people coming in behind that. What's your view on nuclear? I love nuclear. And, and I think we should have, I would have a small nuclear reactor in my backyard if I were allowed <laughs> to have one. So I have no problem with nuclear. I think we should have more nuclear everywhere. France gets 80% of its electricity from nuclear. And, and so or maybe more 70, I apologize. Um, but sometimes they have such a surplus that they sell it to Germany at a premium, right? If, if the French are brave enough for nuclear, why are the Americans so petrified of nuclear? And I also love nuclear because all of those reactors, all of that cement, all of that rebar, oh, yes. all requires fossil fuels. I was just, the, now that you, I'll never think about these things in, in the same way again, because you can imagine the nuclear power station, that's all produced with coal. So, okay, you're pro-nuclear. Um, but as we've discussed, the, the usage of coal is not just for electricity generation. Are you pro-natural uh, uh, gas? Sure. Oh, all fossil fuels, all as fossil, much as okay. possible. Absolutely. And, and as, as much and as abundant as possible. And, and what frustrates me, again, when I think of the, the dignity of the American people and, and their true value, what frustrates me is that we have so many of these resources, and if we built nuclear, that electricity should almost be a non-issue. There should be no American... Who, who struggles to pay an electric bill. There should be yes. no American who's like, oof, 
because we have so many of the materials to make electricity. It should almost be free. Not that I want a subsidized or free, you know, a, a, a state-run uh, electric, but it, there should be so so abundant that it should be almost free, and that's not. And actually, everyone's electricity has gone up in the last two years and gone up tremendously because of this green agenda. But eventually, it will work, right? Ask Germany. Ask Germany how it's I mean, doing. No, five hundred I mean, billion euro. Twenty years later, five hundred billion euro. Twenty years later, how's your electric grid, Germany? When does the good part of going green work? Right. Yeah, if it's and, been and that much and that much money, what what when does it work? That's a good fair question, Angela Merkel, isn't it? I mean, a it's just an unbelievable. I mean, the, when does it again, work? Just looking at California, I mean, you've got the just the increases in, in the, the price increases just are so astronomical. And and someone was, you know, and, and then and then you layer onto that all the other po policies that are forcing people um well, combination of forcing and 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 subsidizing people, particularly the rich, to get electric cars, and then the the, the gas stoves thing, and, we, and on and on. They want to electrify everything, and they want to make the elect and they want to make the electricity generated from sources that are less reliable. They want to make us more reliant on less reliable electricity. The price goes up. I mean, someone was just I was just hearing about someone whose electricity bill because they bought they 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 thought okay fine i'll get they're banning the gas cars i'll go along with it i'll get a tesla or whatever they got a tesla a and 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 you know the cheapest one they could afford uh, but they found that their electricity bill was now eleven thousand dollars the next bill that they got eleven thousand you know they just yeah. couldn't believe the increase and 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 then you it's it's just so the cruelty of it for people who just i mean obviously if you can afford to buy a tesla you're not in the lowest income bracket but these are, you know, so it's sort of middle class family, and they are just putting things out of reach because it's not just the cost of the electricity directly. Energy costs going up it may increase the price of everything that's made using energy, which is everything. Yeah, yeah, and they've done it to the the, the most perfect state in the union. And I'm a proud New Yorker. I shouldn't. I would. I will lose my New York card when I say this. But California has always been in my life, and I'm pushing fifty was always the envy of every other state. And every song was about California, right. or California Dream and California Girl. Every TV show that was cool, from the Brady Bunch to the OC, was California. And they took what is the most perfect state, and they, and they have virtually destroyed it. And now you have a governor who says, uh, you know, you have to buy an electric vehicle, um, but you can't charge it at certain times. <laughs> and I'm not going to manage the forests because that's crazy. boring. But when they burn then you have an electric vehicle that isn't charged and you can't escape the forest fire that my poor management has caused, but that's okay, I'll just blame climate change. And this is where we are. And you've ruined what was the greatest state in the country. And I want to prevent that from happening in other states. Yes. And what do you see as being the, you know, the, the, the prospects of this? I mean, the, you know, the, like, the, like pushing back on it. And I, I, I feel like the nuclear argument for example on electric it's very interesting you make you've made us think about it in a different way which is the electricity generation and other use of fossil fuels and of course the other uses let's just we've talked about coal in producing ah. these vital components of infrastructure including green infrastructure but oil and gas in terms of its industrial uses its non-electricity generation uses talk about that for a little bit yeah i mentioned a couple of them before plastic rubber uh laundry detergent, all of your appliances, uh, fertilizer. One of the reasons why your food prices are so high is because the, the nitrates in fertilizer are all derivative, a byproduct of natural gas. 
um, when natural gas prices quadrupled, fertilizer prices quadrupled, food prices then, of course, went up. And so people scratch, and all of your, and you have a lot of farmers in California, all of them know how expensive things have become. And these are all products of fossil fuels. So again, when you say, well, we're going to punish the fossil fuel industry, no more drilling, no more oil, no more gas, no more coal, you haven't done anything. The president hasn't done anything but make life very expensive. And who suffers the most are the middle class, the lower class, um, the rich. You know, if, you, if you're paying $5 a loaf of bread, you used to pay three fifty. Not a problem if you're making a few million dollars a year. But if you are the average American family making 58000 or 54000 a year, that's a huge price jump. Right. Those yes. are enormous differences. And and so these things are not going away unless we all give up our our plastic. We all give up our our smartphones. Right. We all give up our flat screen TVs and and the clothing you're wearing and all yeah. of the goods we have all come from fossil fuels or they are produced with fossil fuels. And that is what has made them I mean, it's sustainable. Just a, this is the, and this California, is... your plastic boobs and your makeup are also fossil fuels. <laughs> okay, very good. So, look. This True. is what this is the there's it's just such, such a sort of you know it makes us come up you know just stop in your tracks really because what the language that they use is a complete lie actually so I've just read what they talk about is decarbonizing right that's the that's the, they talk about decarbonizing the economy yeah. um, and you know if the, I suppose if you're being really again let's just approach it in good faith so if they were to say decarbonize electricity generation then that's well then no that's not possible because the the solar panels <laughs> at this point and the are made with carbon yeah so the we so are decarbonization not using fewer is a, fossil fuel decarbonization yeah. is we just, are not using fewer fossil fuels we're just using them differently but we're calling ourselves green in the process. We're never going to decarbonize the economy because we can't decarbonize the world because our CO2 is carbon, which they now consider a, a greenhouse gas. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's absurd. You they I'm now, glad is, you is, mentioned is CO, the language. Is CO2 not a greenhouse? They play I mean, with the language. No, <laughs> it's, of course it's not. It's what the plants inhale to give us oxygen and water as a byproduct. C6H12O6 on the photosynthesis process. So it's just laughable that we're now considering CO2. And the planet is greener than it was 170 years ago. The planet is greener. Are the oceans higher? Maybe, yes, seven inches. But the planet is greener. Yeah, I think that's and, right. And There's more why? trees, because right? We have that's more a CO2. fact, isn't it? There's more, there are more trees. Absolutely. Piece, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, and how how offensive is it to to the creator? How How silly is it to science to say, no, 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 no. We, we are controlling this planet. And if you increase the CO2, it'll, really, you don't think the planet knows, well, more CO2, more trees, and everything balances. You don't think the planet finds an equilibrium? It always finds an equilibrium, right? We try to build these dikes and these dams to, to, to stop rivers from going a certain direction. The planet goes where it wants to go. It always balances itself out. And this haughtiness to say, one degree more. And that's it. We're all doomed. John Kerry will tell you if we increase 1.5 degrees Celsius, holy crap, the whole planet is teetering on 1.5 degrees. Do we really think the planet is that fragile? It's Do we really think well, we I think could... it's, yeah, I mean, look, I think that there, I mean, we have to leave it there. It's such an interesting conversation. I think that I'll just leave this last thought from me and then your reaction, which is that actually, um, 
there are many people, you know, like particularly, you know, those of us who come into this, like I do from a kind of love of nature, like you mentioned earlier, you know, like a, connect a connection to nature and loving nature and, and, the, and, the, and the physical environment and, and really believing right. in conservation, actually, and the, and, the, and the importance of protecting our natural world. Um, so you see certain things and you just think, oh, that's really sad. I mean, for example, I'll just give you a specific example. We're in California, we go to Hawaii a lot. Um, and uh, know it very well. And just you noticed, I noticed, you know, over the period of a few years, a real collapse in a particular reef, you know, where you'd go snorkeling amazing fish and whatever. And like, yeah, but oh no, that's a thing. Well, is that the climate and so on? And the, the narrative is all about that's the climate, the ocean's warming, the coral dying, and that's terrible, and the fish can't live, etc. But then you, go, you learn about things like well, during the pandemic, when there's a particular uh, state park, national park, that's a state park in Hawaii, which is... Um, in a, in a collapsed volcano uh, crater and very famous place. People visit, you know, re over visited, right? And it's closed during the pandemic. Um. Last time we went there, it was like really bad, you know, like it was sort of pretty much dead, hardly any fish. It was just very disappointing. And, but what happened? They closed it for the pandemic, no visitors. In the period of about six months, it completely revived on it just by, just by people not going there. And then, and now the sort of argument actually in, in, in terms of coral reefs is that there's just as much as an impact, or if not more, from the types of sun cream that people use. And there are, there are alternatives that yep. don't kill coral. And there's now really good work going on in various labs about rejuvenating coral and, and, and having it live. You know, so there's an ingenuity that we can apply to protecting mm -hmm. the natural world as well. Absolutely. I, I love that you mentioned the reefs. I was lucky enough to marry an Australian. We were there in January visiting his family, and we did go to the Great Barrier Reef. And they said how you all heard the stories, the Great Barrier Reef is dying. 80% of it has, has come back in the last few years, and it continues to grow. And that's fantastic. And and absolutely, humans have an impact on the planet. I don't don't deny that. It's also why when you see some of the great works of art, like The Last Supper, they're now in climate-controlled rooms because they realize even your breathing has mm -hmm. deteriorated. The art has deteriorated mosaics and, and, and frescoes, excuse me. So absolutely, humans can have a detrimental impact on the planet, but human existence doesn't necessarily destroy the planet. And and I guess a final thought I'd say, and I'm mm -hmm. so grateful to have this conversation, these are really big issues. They're very complicated, they are complex, and they are about all of us. They're all about the dignity of human and the way we live. Um, they're about global geopolitics and they're about China and Russia. We even go down that direction. Mm -hmm. They are complicated. And I just wish the politicians who made these decisions did what you are doing right now and take the time to really discuss them. And I would love to discuss them. I hope some of your viewers watch this and say, boy, that guy is wrong. Email me. Tell me why I'm wrong. I want to talk more about these things to make better decisions and to not continue on this path, which I think has been destructive. Well, we really appreciate the conversation today, uh, Daniel. It's a great pleasure. Um, thank you so much for being with us. Always a pleasure. Thank you. There you go. I told you it'd be interesting. I learned so much there. Um, like I said at the beginning, I don't, I wouldn't say I completely agree with everything that he was saying, but what a clear and kind of fact-based um, explanation of, of, of so much, I think, that just never gets discussed when we talk about um, the politics of energy policy and environment policy, particularly from the left. It's all these kind of headlines and, and slogans about climate and whatever. They never, you never get into the details about what actually happens in our economy, uh, with industry, our society.
Really fascinating. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. I, I know I did. Please join us again for the next episode of The Steve Hilton Show, where we'll have more just like that on all the issues facing California and the country and the world. Every now and again, we do foreign policy. Um, but we tend to focus on what's going on here at home. I hope you enjoy that. Thank you for supporting the show. Make sure you tell everyone about The Steve Hilton Show. Follow us, of course, on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you soon. Thank you.